Chapter 18 Honoring Pagan Gods and Holy Days Upon discovering the way translators replace the sacred names with pagan counterfeits, it only makes sense to address the rampant idolatry in this modern age. It's very difficult to identify with the idolatry problem of ancient times because in our self-righteous pride, we believe our modern society has risen so far above them. But have we? Really? Our self-righteous pride has deceived us into believing we are so much smarter than our ancient forefathers, when in truth, we're actually worse. Even the idolaters of old would be shocked by the blatant idolatry of our modern times. In the late 1980s, a secular study group did a non-denominational study of idolatry in the various world religions using the Second Commandment as their standard for the definition of idolatry. To the shock and chagrin of Christian pride, Christianity, primarily with Catholicism, won out as the world's most idolatrous religion. There's no religion on earth with more religious icons, symbols, statues, and pictures than Christianity. Even Buddhism came in second. All we have to do to see the truth is to visit most any Catholic church or Protestant building to see the statues, the stained glass windows, and the crosses that abound. In spite of Christianity's futile attempts to justify these religious icons, the second commandment is clear, clearly defines them as idols. In fact, the Catholic Church, in an effort to sidestep their guilt, actually erased the second commandment. Yes, that it's right. They took out the command that says, make no graven images. And then they split the tenth commandment into two in order to keep the number ten. But more than the images and idols, our culture is inundated with the names of pagan gods and goddesses. Unfortunately, we've become so ignorant of the ancient gods, we honor their names, by use, almost constantly without even realizing it. Even those understanding it shrug it off as no big deal. Let's examine a few of those names we commonly use in our Christian nation. To begin with, most of the days of the week are named in honor of pagan gods. In fact, we literally give them honor by simply speaking their names, almost daily. Even though Yahweh instructed his people to not even utter the names of those pagan gods. Let's read what Exodus 23:13 tells us. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods or Elohim, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Besides praising the pagan gods almost daily, which are the names of the weekdays, many of the names of the months also honor pagan gods. Incidentally, so also do the planets of our solar system. I can go on and on. Having been tricked into daily honoring the pagan gods with our days and months, it's even more astounding to understand the names used for such unreligious entities such as internet search engines like Google and Yahoo, which are, yes, pagan gods. Even many of the brand names we're, we're so familiar with, such as Nike, Atlas, Mercury, Mazda, Juno, are all pagan gods. Our inundation with pagan gods is so pervasive, even our English name for the human race, believe it or not, comes from an ancient pagan god called Hu. Can you imagine? Even the credit for the existence of mankind is given to this pagan god Hu. Every time someone mentions the word human, man of Hu. Astonishing. 
There's virtually nowhere we can look without seeing the names of pagan gods being honored and proudly displayed. Most shocking of all is how we've been taught to dedicate all our prayers to the state god of Egypt, Amen. This is the god the Egyptian pharaohs Amenhotep were named in honor. That barely touches the tip of the iceberg on this subject, but I'm struggling to keep this short and to the point, which is simply to show just how permeated our modern societies and churches are with pagan idolatrous names. Of course, not the least of these are the pagan names they've replaced Yahweh and his son Yeshua with. Our only hope is found in a kingdom prophecy in Zechariah 13.2, where Yahweh states, It shall be in that day, says Yahweh, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. In that verse, Yahweh announces how all the pagan names will one day be erased. In the meantime, can you believe our Creator is pleased with our giving honor to all these pagan gods or Elohim in almost every other breath? Unfortunately, not only have we been unknowingly praising, proclaiming, and honoring pagan gods in names, but we've also been coerced into honoring pagan gods in our holy celebrations. Interestingly, the most common or most important day everyone has been taught to honor and celebrate is his or her own birthday. But a strange fact most don't know and were never taught is the supposedly unchristian occultist's birthday is the most important of all their holy days. Of course, that's according to the U.S. military's guide on religious days. It's a fact that speaks volumes about birthdays to anyone listening. With that in mind, has anyone ever wondered where this practice of celebrating birthdays was birthed? Pun intended. It seems celebrating birthdays began as a way to honor the ancient pagan gods. It was a pagan practice apparently originating in ancient Babylon. Nimrod, the first ruler of Babylon, was supposedly reborn as the sun god on December 25th. This day was celebrated to honor him as well as the birthdays of Ra, Baal, Marduk, Mithras, Ahura Mazda, and Zeus all worshipped as sun gods and born on December 25th. With that in mind, let's look at what Yahweh told his people in Deuteronomy 12:30 through 32. Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them, that is the heathens, after they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods or Elohim? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship Yahweh, your God, in that way. For every abomination to Yahweh, which he hates, they have done to their gods, their Elohim. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. That's Molech and Shemosh. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Those are very strong and plain words indeed. But yet, modern Christianity has done exactly that becoming ensnared in those ancient pagan practices. Christianity, as well as most of the world, has adopted the practice of celebrating the birthday of the sun gods on December 25th, while believing they are worshipping the birthday of the Son of God. Knowing how now that Jesus is not the Hebrew Messiah, we can understand why his birth would also be on December 25th. Even if that were the true Messiah's birthday, which it isn't, to celebrate it would be still be doing as the heathen. The very fact the date of Yeshua's birth was left out of scripture 
and historical biblical writings speaks volumes on the subject of celebrating it and birthdays in general. In fact, Jeremiah 10.2 very emphatically instructs, do not learn the ways of the heathen, which includes the practice of cutting down a tree, propping it up, and decorating it with silver and gold. Does that sound familiar? Does that not describe the celebrating of a certain birthday to a T? In the original celebration of the birthday of their God of blessings or gifts on December 25th, they would light a fire in the big fat bellies of their gods, Molech and Shemosh, until they were glowing red hot. People would then present their wish lists to the red-clad priests to appease these horrible gods as they lay their infant babies on the red-hot arms or laps as a sacrifice. That was researched and made clear by Michael Rood. Then they would sing songs and cheer to drown out the horrifying screams of their babies burning, burned alive. All this to get blessings and presents from their gods. As horrific as this ancient celebration was, Christianity, for the most part, is still participating in this pagan celebration as if it were now somehow a good thing. Santa Claus still wears a red suit representing blood because he is the modern version of those red-hot gods. Understanding that history, how can anyone in good conscience celebrate such a horrendous pagan holiday knowing the truth of its origin? Let's look at another problem with Christianity's most cherished holiday, Christmas. As most are aware, Scripture makes it quite plain that lying is a sin and all liars will be thrown in the lake of fire. That's Revelation 21.8. Yet people teach their children that a red-clad fat man, which is a lie, who lives at the North Pole, which is another lie, delivers presents to everyone in a single night. Of course, that's another lie. The flying reindeer, well, that's another lie. And to top it off, this holiday having anything to do at all with the true Messiah is still another lie. Tell me, how is it possible to dedicate such a bulging sack of lies to honor our Creator or His Son when He Himself hates lies? Anyone believing this lying holiday honors our Creator has, has to simply be out of his or her mind. In fact, what's right what right do we have to tell our children it's wrong to lie after spending the first few years of their life teaching them lies? Is it any wonder our world is such a mess? By the way, one of the central icons of this pagan holiday is the mistletoe under which one is to kiss. Mistletoe is a pagan icon supposedly representing procreation. What most people are unaware is mistletoe is a parasite and parasites suck the life out of their hosts until their host is dead. Hmm. Actually, it's the unseen lying demons or the muses that are the parasites. What an appropriate icon considering this horrendous parasitical pagan holiday is sucking the life out of mankind. Another holy day for Christians is the celebration of Easter believing it is the resurrection of Jesus. But this very pagan celebration also has its roots in ancient Babylon. Nimrod's wife, Semiramis, also called Ishtar, that's where we get the name Easter from, became pregnant supposedly by her husband Nimrod after he went to heaven after being murdered by his brother Seth to become the sun god. This baby, supposedly her husband reincarnated, was called Horus and or Tammuz, whom she also married 40 years later. Her son husband was killed while hunting and she then instituted a 40-day time of mourning or, and self-denial called Weeping for Tammuz. 
This holiday is celebrated to this day and is now called Lent, culminating with the spring sunrise Sunday worship. After Semiramis died, she supposedly was also taken to heaven where her husband, the sun god Nimrod, sent her back reincarnated in an egg. As legend has it, she then founded the practice of temple prostitution, she herself being the first temple prostitute. The babies born in her celebration, or Easter, were then offered or sacrificed to her sun god husband in the next spring equinox. Eggs were dipped in the blood of these babies as part of the ritual. Rabbits were also a part of the celebration, being fertility symbols to help ensure the supply of babies for sacrifices. These sacrifices were deemed essential, you know, kind of like our abortion clinics these days, for the continuation of bountiful crops and good weather. Again, we were lied to that Easter has anything to do with Yahweh's sacred Passover. Yahweh soundly condemned those wicked celebrations in Ezekiel 8.14. But the Roman Emperor Constantine in 325 ordained these pagan days in his universal or Catholic religion to replace Yahweh's feast days of Leviticus. This is where the modern Christian or pagan holy days were born. Considering celebrating the birthdays of the pagan gods was so important to the pagans, how should we view the celebrating of our own birthdays? If we can somehow rationalize away the fact that celebrating birthdays were pagan, uh, maybe it would help to examine the fruits of these celebrations. After all, it's written, you can only know a thing or a person by its fruits. To begin with, the only times birthdays were mentioned and celebrated in Scripture were with evil consequences. Job's family was killed celebrating their day or their birthday. And John the Baptist was also beheaded as a birthday present for Herod's puppet kings of Judea's wife. In fact, Scripture does not have even one good example of celebrating a birthday, nor do we have even one example of a righteous person celebrating him, not even our Messiah. That alone tells us plenty. Over the years, watching children celebrating their birthdays, it never ceased to amaze me how miserable the poor birthday child was afterward. And of course, we see the same thing with Christmas. It's astounding to see what a supposed good celebration does to a child. If a celebration is, a, is good, shouldn't it leave children happy and fulfilled and uplifted afterward? Unfortunately, if the overindulgent of cakes, presents, and attention ending, that is, doesn't leave them miserable not getting the presents they wanted, or as many usually does. If that isn't enough, what does a birthday celebration teach children besides selfishness? Weren't the main emphasis of the Messiah's teachings in Torah unselfishness versus the selfishness that birthdays teach? The problem with getting caught up in the ritual celebrating birthdays is they not only foster selfishness, but when forgotten by others are devastating. Devastating because they have become expected. Bottom line, celebrating birthdays doesn't simply doesn't bear any good fruit. In fact, celebrating a birthday is being, being, rewarded, for some, is being rewarded for something we didn't do or deserve. We don't deserve birth ourselves. Just one last point. How much real love is exercised in birthday celebrations, including Christmas, considering they have become obligatory? How many people just go through the motions only because it's expected? How much better would it be to honor a loved one with a party and presents simply because we love them, not because it's an assigned day they did nothing for? 
If we honor someone with gifts and a party purely out of love, no obligation, there's no letdown because things didn't go the way they're expected or not for having not received the desired or expected gifts. Honoring someone with gifts and celebration for no reason except to express love leaves a person feeling wonderful and truly loved. That's exactly what Yahweh wants for us. Of course, before ending this chapter, there's one more celebration traditionally celebrated, which is hardly worth mentioning because of its blatant evilness. It's Halloween. How can any Christian justify celebrating a day that honors the dead, zombies, demons, witches, goblins, and virtually every conceivable evil? Even the supposed innocent practice of trick-or-treat is simply legalized extortion. Exactly what should we expect when we teach our children that honoring evil and practicing extortion or blackmail are good things? Give me a trick or I'll play a trick on you. I'm sure that's enough said. Just for the record, there's nothing wrong with dressing up for parties or events with a good theme, as long as the costumes don't celebrate evil and or death. So why not celebrate the feasts or celebrations that Yahweh created for us in Leviticus 23? Not only were these days given to teach us His amazing plan, which is for us, but were also days of feasting and partying with family. In fact, two of His family feasts last seven days. Plus, they are days of gift-giving, which Yahweh also commanded. Another huge bonus in keeping Yahweh's feast is the people were required to save up in advance so they can enjoy these celebrations without guilt or huge bills to pay off afterward. Yahweh's feasts literally are the ruler of the universe, our Father, inviting his children and friends to celebrate his special days with him. And like any good ruler, king, and or father, Yahweh promises and gives the best gifts. But if we ignore and shrug off his invitations, not only does it hurt him deeply, but we won't be there to receive his gifts. And did I mention there are four of these family celebrations per year, not counting the weekly Sabbath feast? Can you imagine having so many major family celebrations a year? What joy! Oh yeah, and with no downside. The real lesson of this chapter is, if we do things our Creator's way, the result is happiness and prosperity. But on the other hand, if we do things our or the world's way, the result is only unhappiness, misery, and then finally death. But suffering is exactly what our demonic adversaries wish for us. All we have to do to be miserable is to obey them instead of Yahweh. After all, it's a well-known fact, Christmas time, a time supposedly of cheer and family, suicides are at the highest. How telling is that? Solution. Celebrate Yahweh's glorious and wonderful and, did I mention, fun feasts versus the world's pagan holy days and not only add more stress to our lives. Let me close this chapter with a shocking statement in Proverbs 14:12. It says there, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way or ways of death. Uh, very true. Just another reason the truth seems stranger than fiction.